From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Today, our exploration of diversity, equity, and inclusion at Colorado's flagship university and the state's third largest employer continues with CU President Todd Solomon. The reality is that that changing culture is not something that you do overnight. And so it's something that we have to show a commitment to and demonstrate a commitment to over the long term. And we hear from Wanda James, CU's first Black woman regent in 44 years. Diversity doesn't happen in a vacuum. Inclusion does not happen in a vacuum. And in a lot of ways, we can't keep blaming the students for not wanting to go to the University of Colorado if we haven't done a good job of giving them a place that they have professors and teachers and people guiding their minds that look like them. This time of year, many of us pause and think about all the things we're grateful for. At Colorado Public Radio, we're so grateful for all the donors and sponsors who choose to support CPR. We wouldn't be able to do what we do or be here for you without you. Thank you for being a part of the CPR family. We're so grateful for you. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Woodfield. What does it mean to be a Black student on the campus of CU Boulder? It's a question that's come up since Dion, Coach Prime Sanders, came to Colorado last spring to lead the CU Buffs football team. His presence continues to draw national attention and has in many ways helped the school recruit more students of color. But some of them say that public perception is at odds with the reality of what it's like being on a campus with a Black student population that's just under 3%. Nandi Pointer is a third-year Ph.D. student at CU Boulder. This year has been kind of like the firecracker year, I would say. Before, it was kind of just moving along at a steady pace of what I pretty much expected. And then this year, it's like to have CU's soul in the news on the one hand, you're proud in a way. It's like my university is getting media attention. It just makes you feel a sense of co-buffs, you know. <laughs> but um, on the other side, you know, you're kind of, as a researcher, you're unpacking kind of what does this mean in the larger picture in a sense because the campus is so predominantly white and there's so much attention being given to Coach Prime. So you're kind of trying to parse out, is that positive? Is that all positive? And I think it is in the sense of the representation part. I think it's great because it's, making Black people even look at considering coming here, I think, in a way. Students that probably didn't before just because of the attachment to him. And diversity is like step by step. I think because this community has been one way for so long for it to become more diverse, it's going to take a lot of time. Alazar Gebermichael is a CU Boulder alum who now works at CU's new Center for African and African American Studies, also known as The Cause. The one thing is there were no black faculty outside of ethnic studies and other departments like that. I was in STEM. Most of my friends were in STEM. No black faculty, absolutely none. I uh, felt like I really couldn't connect to any of the professors. In some ways, I did have a few instances of microaggressions and racism from professors as well. Um, Another thing is I think there needs to be resources for people of color and uh, black students on campus to be able to afford housing and, and um, to be able to live in Boulder and actually be comfortable in, in, in going to class here. Because a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of the people of color I know are commuting from Aurora or Denver. 
Hear my entire interviews with Alazar and Nandi at CPR.org in the Colorado Matters podcast. We'll continue our conversation on this topic with CU Regent Wanda James shortly. But first, I'm joined by President Todd Solomon, who leads all of CU's four campuses. President Solomon, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. From where you sit as president, what has it been like watching the nation root for your team and your university? Everywhere I go, that's what people ask me about first. And I mean everywhere I go. I was up on a, on a chairlift last winter, and the, wow. the person sitting next to me, that's the first thing they brought up. They had no idea that I, that I even worked at CU. Wow. You're like, yeah, it's an amazing I thing. I work there. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing thing, but it is an exciting, exciting thing. It's brought incredible energy to the campus, to the entire university, and to the state. Now, I have often said that athletics is the front porch to the university for many people. And that doesn't mean it's the house. The university mm. is the house. But the, but athletics is the front porch. And if it makes people look at the university, and that's great. Then we can open the door and welcome them in, show them the incredible things we, we do in terms of educating the people of Colorado and in terms of the extraordinary research we do. And um, it's, it's just this wonderful opportunity to connect more people to the University of Colorado. How do you make the excitement over Coach Prime and the CU Buffs team more than a sports moment for CU Boulder in terms of experiences for diverse students on your campus? Right. So that is a huge priority for us, and not just at CU Boulder, but for the entire University of Colorado system. How can we seize on this excitement and show people that there is a place for them at the University of Colorado? The reality is that the University of Colorado doesn't reflect the diversity of Colorado, not with our students, our faculty, or our staff. There's one exception, that's CU Denver, where we do have a, a very diverse student body. But even there, our faculty and our staff don't reflect the diversity of Colorado. So we have a lot of work to do. It is interesting looking at the breakdown of race on the University of Boulder campus. For example, about 65 percent white, about 3 percent black, um, but you have about 13 percent Hispanic and Latino, about 9.5 percent Asian American. So you do have some representation, but you want to get those numbers up. Now, we've been gauging the temperature on, on campus, talking to students of color One graduate student, a black woman, suggested that perhaps the attention being given to Deion Sanders is acting as a mask to hide deeper racial issues that persist on the Boulder campus. What's your response to that? So there are two pieces to reflecting the diversity of Colorado. One is recruiting students, faculty and staff who are people of color. Hmm. The other is culture. And to me, culture is the most challenging issue of all. How do we make sure that we are a place where people want to be and where they can feel like CU Boulder is their home away from home? And I think that is definitely our biggest challenge on all of our campuses is culture. And the reality is that is that changing culture is not something that you do overnight. And so it's something that we have to show a commitment to and demonstrate a commitment to over the long term. And we are taking meaningful steps on all of our campuses To address that, Uh, about two years ago, we did a system-wide culture survey Mm. where we tried to identify the issues that people are facing, and we have put in place very concrete action steps. Can you give us some examples? I was going to ask about that. So each campus has taken 
this survey and and implemented it in a different way. So, for example, at the CU system offices, what we heard is that employees want to feel more connected to the organization. And so we are hosting uh, town halls for them and really trying to keep them engaged on not just the work that we do every day, but how their work matters to the entire University of Colorado system. On the campuses, so at like CU Boulder, for example, one of the great things that has happened there is that we've opened up something called the Center for African and African American Studies. Which we know well here at Colorado Matters. We covered the opening of that. And they've been doing excellent work to create community on the Boulder campus for Black students. I think the question we're really getting at is um, definitely the cause has stood out as a place of support, resources, and really just kind of a gathering opportunity for people of color to have a sense of belonging. But what about beyond that in the classrooms, in the dormitories, in the mm-hmm. on the social scene? What is being done to foster that in those spaces? So let's talk about that in a second. The other thing that matters so much to all of our students is cost. Now, are we able to provide the, the financial assistance that students need to, mm. to attend the University of Colorado? And that's for all students. But it's also one of the things that we see students of color pointing to most frequently as being a barrier. But getting to your question specifically, what are the things that we're doing? So you talked about housing. Uh, We have a new housing community in Hallett Hall. happens to be the dorm that I lived in when I went to see you (laughs) back in 1985. And I I don't think it's changed too much since (laughs) since, uh, the days I lived there. But it has changed in that we've created a community for black students if they want to be part of it, where they can come and live together in Hallett Hall when they're freshmen and move into a community where they'll be around people who look like them and where they can have a community right out of the gate. We're doing that for students from the LGBTQ plus community as well and for Latino students. And so we're, we're, trying, to, we're, we're trying different things out. How do we create community in a way that matters to students? When we're talking about... Um, the classroom experience, two places that I would point to is our School of Engineering and our business school. Mm. They have implemented very specific programs to help students of color be successful in their communities. And we're doing a lot to try to train our faculty and, and our staff when it comes to um, making sure that people have the cultural competencies they need to educate all Coloradans and people from beyond Colorado a letter was circulated earlier in the fall regarding four former faculty members of color alleging, quote, disrespect and disregard for them in the School of Education. This was a 48-page document. It was reportedly written by two graduate students and is signed by pages of supporters. I want to know specifically, are you doing any sort of investigation into that situation and perhaps getting feedback from other departments in terms to similar feelings that may be felt among others who remain on your campus. So the campus is definitely looking into that and and taking the allegations in that letter very seriously. Have there been any conversations that you're aware of in terms of talking to the students who wrote the letter? The campus has put a process in place to, to look into that, and that process is underway. And they'll be able to comment on that as they make progress in that process. In terms of your other question, you know, what are, are we reaching out to other faculty and other staff to see if there are issues? All the time. We want to reach out proactively, and that gets back to the, like the surveys and things like that. 
When you say you've been looking into it, can you give us an example of like what looking into looks like and what ideas you do have at this stage of work that could be done to follow up to these concerns? Sure. So one of the things that we're doing on the Boulder campus in particular is um, making a very conscious effort to try to make sure that we're, we're recruiting more faculty of color. The Boulder campus has actually very proactively set funding aside to help recruit faculty from diverse communities. Do you think the frenzy of Coach Prime is helping with that? I do. I think it definitely helps. But at the end of the day, the, you know, the faculty want to come to teach and to do research. That's where their heart is. And so when we go and we, we recruit any faculty member, that's what they expect to hear most about. But it's more than just recruiting. We need to make sure that we're creating a place where they want to be. And to me, that's even the bigger challenge, making sure that we're creating a community, a culture where people feel like they belong and where they want to stay. Speaking of positions, CU Boulder's chancellor has announced plans to retire after nearly 15 years in that role and 50 years on campus. As your team works to find his replacement, do you see this as an opportunity to hire a person of color in that role? Are any extra steps being taken to, say, seek out or even prioritize diverse candidates? So we will be hiring a search firm who is capable and has a proven track record of developing a diverse pool of highly qualified candidates. I think that might be something that we haven't done that great of a job in, in in the past. And it's part of the reason why we are where we are. And as we're putting together, as I'm putting together the search committee, I'll make sure that that search committee also reflects the diversity of Colorado. Do you feel the university has a pipeline for these high-ranking positions for diverse candidates? This is going to be a national search. When we're talking about a chancellor at CU Boulder, we're going through a national search for a chancellor at the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, UCCS, right now also. And that's exactly what we've done there, too. Do we have a pipeline in Colorado? We do, but we're also a small state. And to me, like I said earlier, it's about not just recruitment, but it's also about retention. And we look at that over time. So we actually can look over time, have we been improving in this area? As a leader yourself who is not of color, have you ever been concerned that there may be blind spots? And are there any steps you take to ensure that you're getting a sense of what people are really experiencing, particularly diverse students, faculty, and staff? Sure. So we all have blind spots, and I am no exception. One of the things I do each year is go to each campus and meet with students, faculty, and staff. And uh, we do trainings for my team when it comes to diversity and microaggressions, things like that. You know, the search process is for people on my staff and for the chancellors. We have a search advocate mm -hmm. to make sure that the search process is, is being handled in a way mm -hmm. that ensures that people are protecting against bias and, and things like that. I walk the talk on this, and I, and I think it's something that, that we all need to not just talk about in theory, but actually demonstrate a commitment to through our actions. President Solomon, thank you so much for joining us. You bet. Thank you. That was CU President Todd Solomon, who leads the University of Colorado system. He spoke with us today about what efforts are underway to help foster a sense of belonging 
and to support Black students, staff, and faculty on the CU Boulder campus. Our conversation continues after the break with CU Regent Wanda James. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. A year ago, Coloradans voted to allow grocery stores to sell wine. And since March, that's where many people pick up a bottle or two. Now that it's the first holiday season, liquor stores will be competing with grocery stores for wine sales. Could it make or break mom-and-pop liquor stores? Colorado Wonders takes a look. Read the story and see pictures at CPR.org. Made possible in part by the Colorado Health Foundation. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. We're continuing our talk today about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion at the University of Colorado Boulder. And in light of the attention lately on CU Buffs coach Deion Sanders, a.k.a. Coach Prime, what it's like being Black on the CU Boulder campus. Our next guest knows a lot about this topic. She's an alum, a longtime supporter of the school, yes, totally diehard, and is now serving as CU's first Black woman regent in 44 years. While campaigning for the position, and even since taking on the role, she's made it quite clear that one of her objectives is to help make the university more inclusive. Wanda James, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is an exciting conversation. So I have to ask, Mm -hmm. what has it been like for you to watch the so-called prime effect sweeping the nation? Wow. There is a amazing sense of pride. I kind of want to jump in, right? Because I just got back from the CU versus UCLA game in Los Angeles. Mm. And honestly, never seen anything like it. So, you know, obviously we have a smaller part of the Rose Bowl where we were playing. And I would say that the CU portion of the Rose Bowl was 45% black Mm. with people wearing all the prime gear, all Mm. the CU gear. I mean, in 40 years, I have never seen anything like this. Wow. Wow. Now, you've been very vocal about how great you personally think CU Voter is, which you often refer to as the Harvard of the Rockies. I do. (laughs) What was your experience like as a Black student, and how would you say it has evolved over time? So, you know, you can talk to generations of Black alumna, and the story for, I would say, 98% of them is probably about the same. Mm. Um, For me, when I was there, it was a little bit different because I was part of the Naval ROTC Mm -hmm. structure there. So what Naval ROTC did for me was it took me out of a school of 30,000 students and people Mm. and brought me into a you know, smaller, tight-knit family of, I don't know how many midshipmen we had at the time, 100, 150, 200, um, with a dedicated staff of people whose it was in their best interest to ensure you graduated. Mm -hmm. So it was a very different experience than just being left on this campus, you know, to deal with all the things I think students deal with. That being said, I was still the only black person in Naval ROTC. And I joined the military at the time because so many of my black friends did not come back to school in 1982 after our first year. So it felt pretty lonely. And so the military was something that was um, known to me. So I was comfortable there. But if you ask generations of black students going to the University of Colorado, yeah, it's a lonely place. A lot of them were met with 
straight up racism. We have, you know, conversations that have been had that the chief of police at the time in Boulder went and took the football roster and said he was going to use this for identification for people. (laughs) So, I mean, there was that kind of ridiculousness happening on campus back in the, you know, mid to late 80s and probably in the 60s and the 70s as well. So what has the evolution done? Probably not a lot until this year. Really? Really. Now, you said that you genuinely don't understand why more people of color don't choose to attend. Yeah. But as you've reflected on that, why do you think it's that way now? I believe that the reason that we have not seen a lot of blacks and Latinos at the University of Colorado, one, is a belief that most families can't afford it. People believe that it's one of the more expensive schools in Colorado, so they don't even apply. Secondly, I believe being located in Boulder, Colorado, the idea of what people have of Boulder, Colorado, is that it is unwelcoming to people of color, which it is. (laughs) I mean, Boulder has, you know, while it's a liberal city, it's a very wealthy city. And I think that it is, I believe that the people in Boulder believe that they are welcoming and that they don't understand what they do to make people of color feel unwelcome there. In a lot of cases, in some cases, I'm sure that they do. Now, I have to ask, what do you think people are doing that they may, in your view, may unconsciously be doing that is not welcoming to Black and Latino students? Oh, I mean, it's it's easy. I mean, there's really, because of the low numbers, there's really nowhere you can go in the city of Boulder where you are met with, you know, people that look like you. So it does feel very unwelcoming. Um, It does feel unwelcoming in the hotels. It does feel unwelcoming in the restaurants. It definitively is a rich white society in Boulder. And that feeling is permeated, I think, through the activities that are there, through uh, who gets hired in service um, Mm. roles, you know, just who you see in Boulder. And you just don't see a lot of diversity in Boulder at all. Well, of course, Coach Prime came from the Deep South up to Boulder. And there's been a lot of talk about Black culture. Like, I've heard Mm -hmm. that clubs are playing more different music. I've heard about (laughs) certain cuisines being offered Mm -hmm. at the restaurant. Got got grits, girl. (laughs) Grits, yes. So I'm asking, like, Mm -hmm. is it that you feel that people aren't not welcoming, but it's more like there aren't... I guess the offerings do not reflect being inclusive, like music or, like you said, type of events and that type of thing. 100 percent. I mean, I I don't know that this is entirely true any longer, but, you know, I mean, the joke has always been you can't get your hair done in Boulder, right? So, you know, you have a town of, you know, 65, 70,000 people and there is nobody to cut your hair. So everybody's driving to Denver. So everybody is driving to Denver. So it's those types of things, you know, that we just don't see in Boulder. Now, that being said... What happens when you're able to bring on, and I don't know what this Coach Prime effect is in in sociological terms, right? Because it has definitively changed, um, like you said, the music scene. People are looking at, you know, different types of food. And once again, too, you've got to understand it's not just Coach Prime that came to Boulder, right? It's Coach Prime's coaching staff. The machine of Coach Prime. Uh, exactly, which is their family and their significant others and their children, right? So, you know, <laughs> the black population in Boulder, you know, I don't know, quadrupled in, in the last year probably, right? <laughs> With Coach Prime. With Coach Prime, <laughs> right, you, you know. Um, so when you look at what's happening with Coach Prime right now, for every CU home game, they're looking at $20 million to the city of Boulder. Wow. You know, and that's the parking lots are packed. The restaurants are packed. 
fast food is packed. You know, people are coming. The hotels are packed. So it's amazing. And it's bringing people of color. The USC game brought people of color. You know, homecoming, I'm hearing so many alums saying that they're coming back this year, black alums saying that they're coming back this year. So there is a phenomenon that's happening that's bringing people there. And once again, when you see more people that look like you, you feel more comfortable in a place. So my assumption is people are feeling more accepted in Boulder right now. Well, I find that interesting because here at Colorado Matters, we covered the opening of the cause, which is CU Boulder's Center mm-hmm. for African and African American Studies. And uh, the head of that, Dr. Rabaka, mentioned in raising funds for that program, they reached out, of course, to many Black alums who said, why would I give money to a school that was so unwelcoming and unsupportive to me? Exactly. And like I said, I think if you talk to generations of Black alums, you will hear that time and time and time again. That has definitively been a feel at CU Boulder for generations, not for the last 10 years, the last 20 years, but for generations um, of CU alums. Once again, we're hoping that this prime effect, for lack of a better word, is something that actually brings us all back. Because here's the thing. There are a good number of Black alums from CU Boulder. Uh, I know a few myself. Absolutely. You know, and so if we make an effort to come back and come back in numbers and in mass, you know, we'll see each other. We'll run into each other. And quite frankly, that's what's been happening at the football games. I ran into Jay Humphreys at one of the games. I ran into Albus Brooks at one of the games. You know, you're just running into Randall Walter Stanley at one of the games. You're running into people that you haven't seen in decades. Wow. And so they're all coming back. We're having fun. And um, I think it could be a new resurgence for, for A, people of color, for black alums, and more importantly, to also start to attract more staff and faculty of color. So mm. black, and, black and Latino. Well, I've already asked this of CU's president, Todd Solomon. Now I'm asking you, how does CU make this moment with Coach Sanders and the CU Buffs more than a sports moment? What opportunity do you see for growth and change right now? It's already so much more than a sports moment. I mean, we left sports moment after the Nebraska game. How so? By exactly what we're seeing right now. Um, Now, I will say because of all of the craziness with the Supreme Court, I don't know how many students that happen to be black and Latino have applied as of yet. But Meaning, we applied to be students at the University of Colorado. Mm-hmm. But I do know that we've had a 40 percent increase of applications coming in to the University of Colorado. Wow. I am hopeful, <laughs> hopeful that a good number of those or a larger percentage than what we have seen in other classes is a part of that. Once again, we're seeing commerce happen in the city of Boulder. We're seeing black and Latino people visit the city of Boulder in mass with lots of numbers. So hopefully, knock on wood, that this is something that people come, they see that it's a great place to be, uh, and it outlasts the quote-unquote prime era. And hopefully we keep prime around for, you know, a bunch more years. So you, of course, were referring to the affirmative action decision from the Supreme Court, which outlawed admissions based on race. Does that mean you can no longer see the demographics of your applicants anymore? Correct. There is not a box on any application now that says, you know, black, white, Native American. You can tell the story in your written part of the application how race was important to you and your family. But you can't say that I 
was black and checked that box. Once you are a student, we can ask you if you want to identify as self-identify. Self-identify. Okay. Um, that's fine after that fact. So that would be how we would hopefully, knock on wood, be able to figure out what the diversity of our campuses look like. In our conversation, you've really emphasized the need for more representation at every level students and people who work at CU. Does the Supreme Court's affirmative action decision make that more difficult? It absolutely makes it more difficult. And let's be real here about the nefarious nature of what the Supreme Court did, is they literally came out and said that America no longer has a race problem and we don't have to monitor or measure how well we're doing with race. What we do know is Blacks and Latinos are not doing well in this country. So by not being able to measure things, we can't fix things. So that's what that affirmative action ruling effectively does. Yes, it makes it very difficult. And it also tells students of color, Black and Latinos specifically, that they are not wanted at universities and higher ed. You brought up the desire for more Black and Brown students to apply. What is CU doing to recruit and retain these students, and what do you want to see done? There's two parts to this. One is recruit, and the other is graduate. I'm more excited about the graduation Mm. number than I am about the recruiting number. However, the higher the recruiting number, the higher the graduation number. Mm. We now have a metric that is helping us look at all of the high schools of which we were recruiting from and what that body of students looks like that matriculate into CU. Mm. So that's another tool that we can look at to ensure that we are looking at high schools that have a high percentage of Black and Latino um, students. The other really big thing that we're looking at is really just demographics as well, too. When we look at DPS, Denver Public Schools, you know, predominantly Latino. So when we start to look at a strong public education system, K through 12 is very important to make sure that those students are going from the 12th grade into higher learning. So we're making sure that all of that is happening. But I will tell you this. This is the importance of having leadership that is black and brown at the table. Mm. This has been one of the biggest issues with CU Boulder for 43 years. It has been 43 years since the Democrats have had control of this Board of Regents. Jimmy Carter was the last time that CU Regents had a democratically controlled board. Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter. Wow. That guy. Exactly. So we have gone through... Uh, Once again, not beating up on the Republicans here, but diversity has not been their strong point. Now we are enacting some of these goals and inclusion policies that we want to see happen to make sure that we are looking at students of color or in the places where students of color would be coming from. How do you think the board's makeup affects the work that you're trying to do? Oh, tremendously. Oh, my goodness. I mean... It's incredible what can happen when you have a president who leans left and a board that leans left, because these conversations now um, are not just conversations. We're putting actionable items behind that. And I believe when we spoke before, you also felt that the current board makeup represents more of the demographics of Boulder in terms of political thought. So the Board of Regents, we oversee all four campuses. Mm -hmm. So Boulder, Colorado Springs, Denver, and Anschutz Medical Campus. 
So ironically, if you look at Boulder, obviously, you know, a definitively liberal four-year university, as opposed to UCCS, another four-year university, which has a high military Mm -hmm. um, student enrollment, a military community that surrounds it, and is definitively more right-leaning. And then you have Denver, which, you know, represents, you know, a little bit of both, quite frankly. So... When we're looking at how the board makeup is right now, yeah, we definitively have a board that is more left-leaning and looking at what I would consider to be more liberal policies. But I will say, though, that the Republicans on our board have been very much socially aware and to the best of their abilities, have been very supportive of a lot of the things that we're doing on the board to make sure all students count and all students have opportunity. Continuing this discussion about the board, you recently updated your diversity and non-discrimination mm-hmm. policy for the mm-hmm. first time since 1973. Was that a meaningful step to you? And if so, what difference do you think it could make? So I was really happy to see Regent Alana Spiegel take this on um, in the governance committee. She's the chair of governance. And this was important to her. And it was extremely important to me to see this policy updated. The policy we made, I believe, a lot stronger. We removed a lot of, you know, words and verbiage because words have power um, that were acceptable in 1973 that obviously needed to be changed as they are now. But we also put in there mandates and goals so that diversity does have to be reported now by each campus so that we can take a look at what's happening to be able to, we don't have diversity goals, but to be able to show that we are inclusive and open to all peoples. And it was a great exercise to actually go through because obviously all peoples is more than just Black and Latino. It is also LGBT and making sure that students that have, you know, certain disabilities are also made welcome on campus. So there are so many things that we worked through on that diversity policy that we're really proud of. So what difference do you think it'll make? Is it just more awareness? Is it just that it's in the forefront now? More awareness and in the forefront. And once again, those words have power. And I think that that's a really big piece to all of this, right? That when things become in the forefront, we start to see more action on them. And the fact that diversity is at the table now, that people are discussing it, even in negative situations where people are trying to remove diversity, I believe that the other side, our side, now has good argument as to why this is important. So the head of the School of Education recently Mm -hmm. resigned following a scathing letter being circulated about four women of color in that department who felt they were pushed out and who said they experienced a hostile work environment. Mm -hmm. What efforts are underway, including with you and your fellow regents, to investigate, respond, and address those claims? So we are all aware of those claims and the letter. Mm. All the regents. Todd Solomon, as the president of the university, will be reporting back to the regents to get to the bottom of exactly what it is that has occurred. When I see letters like this, I am well aware as a black woman uh, to read between the lines and look at all of the issues as to why these four professors are no longer there. My guess is each situation may be somewhat different. 
potentially, and I and I don't know what meaning with each of with them? each right with each individual professor, and I do not have all the information yet as to what happened with each individual professor. And the other thing that's interesting too about being in higher ed and being a regent as well is these are, remember, we're the third largest employer in the state of Colorado. So these are employees that also have rights and right to privacy and things that you can't just go around discussing about Mm. employees. So we also run into those types of situations, right? So I don't know what all of the facts are behind those four women leaving. But when I read between the lines, once again, as a black woman, um, I would not be surprised that there are times when black women feel very alienated, especially in higher ed um, and potentially at the University of Colorado. Now, have there been any efforts to engage the students who wrote the letter or anything or any particular formal investigation process? Yes. So the School of Education is going through the process that they have to go through, which is why the regents are giving them space to finish that and to let us know what it is that they can legally let us know as to what that situation looks like. My goal in all of this is to look at it and to ensure that the reasons are not systemic. What's being done to recruit, retain, and support Mm -hmm. faculty and staff, members of color, and as you say, Black and Latino faculty and staff? Is there anything you think should be done more in that area? Oh, my goodness. We could write a whole book on all of the things. You're that, like, how that, much time do you have? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, this is the core of the issue that I believe is the issue that we have at the University of Colorado is because diversity doesn't happen in a vacuum. Inclusion does not happen in a vacuum. And in a lot of ways, we can't keep blaming the students for not wanting to go to the University of Colorado if we haven't done a good job of giving them a place that they have professors and teachers and people guiding their minds as they go through this process that look like them. So, yeah, we've got to start with our faculty and staff. We've got to get more Black and Latino faculty on tenure track. More importantly, we're doing a search right now for a new chancellor. Mm. I am openly expecting to see faces of color in that final search group that's coming through. And you are referring to the openings for chancellor at UCCS and also at CU Boulder. 100%. Now, in that process, do you think diverse candidates should be prioritized for filling these positions? And if so, what are you and your fellow regents doing or going to do to ensure that happens? Once again, in learning higher ed, all of this, there, there is more process in higher ed than, I think that's probably the most shocking thing to being a regent is all the processes that are in place to manage a university system this large. So it all comes down to the very beginning, right? Because you can't put, you know, bad information in, you're going to get bad information out. So the search committee and who is on that search committee working with the search firm that ultimately gives us the pool of people that the president will be able to choose from has got to be diverse. And in both cases, I've been told and aware that the search committees are extremely diverse, diverse in thought, diverse in age, diverse in gender, diverse in uh, sexual orientation. So once again, being at the table, having a left-leaning board that feels like diversity is important is the very beginning of ensuring that we have the right people in place to ensure that we are choosing diversity. Can you give us some more specific examples of 
what should be done in the area of recruitment, retention, and support of diverse faculty members, faculty and staff members? Of course. I mean, once again, we look at, uh, and I'm going to forget who coined the phrase, um, but it's pretty famous. It's all over LinkedIn, but the pet to threat um, ideology. So people get very excited when we bring in a black or Latino and they're very supportive. And then when that black or Latino person starts talking about the issues or the shortfalls or the things that we're not doing to make things comfortable, then you go from what we call from pet to threat. Now you become the issue to work with. You're hard to deal with. You're hard to you know, uh, feel comfortable around. And this is why you can't recruit people who happen to be Black and Latino one at a time. You've got to be able to bring in more than just one person so that people do feel supported in the roles that they have. So kind of feeling like they have a cohort. Exactly. Exactly. Engage with. Exactly. Exactly. The idea that race doesn't matter to people is just ridiculous. Everybody wants to feel like that there is somebody that relates to them or that they have something in common with. And I always put this in terms too, i.e. women. How do you think the first woman felt in the workplace of all men? If you went to work today and everybody in here was a man, no matter how nice the men were to you, you would still feel a little bit alienated. Same premise if you happen to be the only Latina or the only black person. It is the same premise. So that's why it's so important to make sure that top to bottom, we look at diversity all the way through. And it's not just that one diversity hire and patting ourselves on the back and say, oh, yeah, we did that. No, it's continuous. As we wrap up, Wanda, what's your vision for the future for CU and for CU Boulder in terms of DEI and making the university more inclusive and welcoming to all, including Black and Latino students, staff, and faculty? You know, I mean, honestly, you just laid it out right there. It's a matter of having more opportunities to have more students on campus. And if we want more students on campus, and that means we have to have more staff, faculty, and tenured faculty that are training these students so that they feel like they want to come to CU and that they have a safe place to be at CU. And then to have organizations such as the CAUSE, the Center for African and African American Studies, which is an amazing place for students to gather, to listen to music, to talk about poetry, to even meet with professors and to get tutored and to be with each other. I think that that's an important place, once again, just as a sorority house may be very important for women on the campus to be able to go to a house where you know that all your girlfriends are at and a place where you feel safe, where you can, you know, get your hair done or do whatever it is that you want to do in a sorority. It's still that importance for Black and Latino students to have that type of space as well. On top of that, we have to have more Black and Latino leadership at the table. Right now, we have one Black president, one Black vice president at the University of Colorado System Office. That's not good enough. Um, We have one Latino vice president. That's not good enough. Um, We have numerous people of color that do outreach, but that's not good enough. And we can't just take all of the people of color and put them in outreach and say, oh, we've done our job. It must be once again all the way through. So every level must be inclusive. Every level must be welcoming. And that's what my hope is for CU Boulder and for Boulder itself, because they're both amazingly lovely, beautiful places to be. And I honestly believe that the more Black and Latino faces that we see on campus and in restaurants, the more enhanced all of the beauty is going to be for Colorado. I'm curious, 
What lesson would you share with any big institution that wants to seriously become more inclusive right now? What have you learned in your many roles that shows you a real path to inclusivity and belonging? You know what? This is so easy, right? You embrace diversity. You're going to make a ton more money. You know, I mean, our stadium is sold out. We have sold out every game this year. The swag is up, I don't know, 988% or something. Yeah, or or, or something (laughs) ridiculous, right? You know, our applications are up 40%. People are spending more money in Boulder. We've got more tourism coming to Colorado. Coloradoans are proud. Black alums are proud. CU Boulder is proud. I mean, there's no downside when you embrace what is diversity, right? And stop looking at the idea that Black and Latinos are somehow negative to the process when it couldn't be further from the truth. And it's not just CU Boulder that we're seeing this in. We see when we embrace diversity in corporations, they make more money. So, Embrace diversity, make more money, have a better experience. I just don't see the downside to any of this. Well, you, of course, are business owners. So it sounds like you're saying this is really increasing the clientele. It really is. I mean, 100%. uh, Seeing more tourism in Denver is a positive thing all the way around. Well, I must say, I've been here for 12 years, and all of a sudden, all these friends want to mm-hmm. come visit. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of which, before we let you go, I understand that last football season, you had some trouble getting folks to accept your sure invitations did. to join you at CU Buffs football games. I have to ask, how's that process going for you now? Yo, if they didn't come to a football game with me last year and they think that they're getting tickets this year, shoot, <laughs> they got another thing coming. No. You got the gestures and everything going. <laughs> That's right. I love it. They can't, they can't come. You didn't come with me last year. If you wouldn't sit through last season, you're not invited. <laughs> you're not invited. You can't come. Yo, you can't come anyway because we're all sold out. So, well, yeah. Uh, there we're at. Yeah, uh, I think the students are going to be lobbying for that as well. Well, Wanda, thank you so much for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. And Sco Buffs. <laughs> that was Wanda James, a CU Boulder alum who is now serving as the university's first Black woman regent in 44 years. She shared her perspective on what the school is doing and, in her view, should be doing to recruit, retain, and support diverse students, staff, and faculty. Black students currently make up about 3% of the student population on the CU Boulder campus. As we wrap up, I'd like to share a note of reflection on Rosalind Carter, who died over the weekend at her home in Plains, Georgia, at the age of 96. As a former Georgia resident myself, I was well aware of and often inspired by the humanitarian work that both First Lady Rosalind and her husband, former President Jimmy Carter, carried out side by side all over the world for decades. I have been especially touched by Mrs. Carter's mental health advocacy work. I had the opportunity to meet the Carters in 2007 at the Carter Center in Atlanta during my tenure completing the Rosalind Carter Mental Health Journalism Fellowship, and I've received a holiday card from them every year since. I'll cherish that card even more this year. I can honestly say that completing that fellowship, which was founded in 1996, long before the topic was widely embraced in the mainstream, has sparked a deep passion and dedication for me and other fellow journalists to write and report on mental health issues. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Thank you, Mrs. Carter, and congratulations 
on a job well done. Thanks for joining us today, with special thanks to producer Rachel Estabrook. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. KRCC.